All right, everyone, thank you for coming out for another amazing episode. But before we get started, we have some coaching announcements that I love to share with you because this month, which is June, we have a contest going on. So it's running until actually the end of July. And what it's going to happen every Friday, I go into the iTunes for the podcast and I pick somebody who's written a review and I give out a prize. Now the last three, we've had three, we have this week is week four and I cannot wait to hand out another prize. So make sure that you put in a review, give us a rating and also other things. Check out my website, sylviedaou.ca. I have some amazing online cycling skills programs that have been launched there for July. These are one-on-one, not one-on-ones, group, and there's three different types, and you can enjoy learning how to get better at your at uh, cycling with these amazing cycling skills. So go to my website, check it out, have an amazing day, make sure you, you follow and put a review, and we'll see you on the podcast. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Dao, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome everyone to another amazing episode of Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling with your host Sylvie Dow and this amazing female cyclist, Lex, and I didn't even ask you how you pronounce the name, Albert. Albert. So here's a story with my last name. My last name is German and I'm very proud of my German roots, but I was born in Canada, so I, I'm not German myself, but my dad was born in Germany and I pronounce it Albrecht. But every Albrecht. time I go to Germany, yeah, Albrecht, and I pronounce the T at the end. But I don't even pronounce it like it's supposed to be pronounced. So every time I'd go to Germany, uh, like there are some bike races there, like Ladies Tour of Turingen, I would ask people to pronounce my name. I'd be like, this is my name. Can you please say it for me? Because I like it when the German people say my last name like it's supposed to be pronounced because I don't even pronounce it the right way. How do you pronounce it in German? Like Albrecht or something. Oh, <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. I just, I leave it to the pros. Anyways, oh my gosh, we're so excited to have her here. I'm so excited because she is one of those uh, women that have been on the scene for a long time. You see her name, you see her pictures. And as a female cyclist myself being in the master's category, you sort of like see her around. You just, ah, you never get to meet her until... You get, you have a podcast like this and you get to meet all cool people all the time. So here's a little bit about Lex and then we're going to bring her in. We're going to get all the details because we got a lot of things we're going to be touching on today. I'm so, so excited. Okay. So Lex raced professionally since, um, since 2012 and represented Canada at 
four world championships and eight champion champion champions of Quebec. So it's champion champion. Or yeah, I have eight Quebec. titles of champion of Quebec in, in different <laughs> disciplines. Okay. So the road, Quebec. The yes. <laughs> she was born in Ontario. Lex uh, uh, learned to speak French when she moved from to Three Rivers. So it was Trois-Vivières in Quebec yeah. when she, and she also earned her bachelor's degree in medical biology. Lex began racing at a later age of 24, which is, like she said, has been worked to her advantage because a lot of girls are looking at, like they started at 11 and they're kind of looking at retiring about this age. And I think it's great that you started later. Lex decided to race independently on the UCI World Tour to focus on expanding her riding and racing opportunities. She is training, and we're going to be talking about this today, for races like Race Across America. I that and that's where like I saw you on a poster. I'm like, oh my god, she's Canadian. We have and I have to talk to her about that event and what you're doing, how you're training for that, and. Steamboat Gravel and Canadian National Road Championships. We have no idea if that's going to happen. Lex is also the host of a brand new TV show called Prem, or is it Go Prem? Because I was just like, that is the coolest name. Because if you're a cyclist, you know, racing for Prem in a crit is you know, you're racing for money. So, and it also reminded me of the time that I crashed racing for a preem. But anyways, that's <laughs> at Preston oh. Street, <laughs> right in front of everybody. It was amazing. Um, I was by myself too, which is amazing. So she co-hosts with her former, pro, with former pro Phil Gemion And Lex loves coffee, rides motorcycles for fun, is Senna Adventure Seeker. And we're going to be talking about that as well. So we got a lot of really cool stuff. You guys, you have to get on the YouTube video of this because it's going to be a real visual experience. So welcome, Lex, to the podcast. Thanks, Sylvia. I'm so excited. Thanks for inviting me to come on. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, and thanks for getting on at such short notice. I really appreciate that. All right. So I always love to get started as, and asking the question, how you got into cycling? Cause everybody has a different story, especially since you started racing later, but how was cycling in your life beforehand? Give us a little bit of background. So I come from a family that's um, not super into sports. Like my immediate family doesn't really love sports like I do. I guess I was always a bit of the odd one out in that sense. So I didn't do a lot of organized sports other than when I was um, in kindergarten up until the fourth grade, I played soccer every single summer. And in those five years, I scored one single goal. And I think the only reason I was playing soccer <laughs> was because I wanted that trophy at the end of the year. I just wanted the trophy. Um, so just to say, like, I really never considered myself an athlete. I just really loved playing outside. I loved being on my bicycle. I loved running all over the place. I loved going on, like, little adventures in my neighborhood. So I've always been somebody who is really active. Like, I still remember the first time I walked by a gym in a hotel 
when I was like really little and I was thinking, man, I cannot wait until I'm old enough to play in there. <laughs> and it's true. When I got old enough to play in there, I was like at the gym all the time. But there was like one period during when I was in high school and my off days, as I would call them, uh, I would go to the gym once. And my normal days, I would go once in the morning and once in the afternoon. I just like loved it so much. So I've always been like a physical activity kind of junkie. I'm, I've never understood why. And at a certain point, I just stopped trying to figure out why I love it so much, like why it feels so good. I just was like, well, this is who I am. That's okay. Um, so that's kind of like my, my history, like from way back. And then I really developed a love for cycling when I was 10 years old and my family moved from the city of Barrie out into the country and for me I was just like this is terrible we live out in the middle of nowhere I'm super isolated my friends don't live here like by the time I was old enough to get a part-time job other than like a paper route I I was like I need to be able to get into town into the city to work um and then I discovered the bicycle not that I not that I hadn't been riding a bike before but I was just like, wait a minute, I can get all the way to the city on my own bike with my own two legs. And I just felt like so thrilled and empowered. And suddenly the tool or the bike became a tool for me to access my freedom and my independence. Um, <laughs> the bikes I was riding were kind of janky, let, let me tell you. And I started to recognize the road cyclists out on the road. And I thought, man, someday I want to be like them. I saw them riding together in little groups and I called them the elite biking clique and I was like I want to be part of the elite biking clique and stuff and and that's kind of where my dream of having a road bike started and I saved my money for two years at two part-time jobs to buy my first road bike and I I worked really hard for it like really hard and I I first got that bike and it was a dream come true and I was super fortunate because the cycling community in Barrie uh, was extremely welcoming to me like some really wonderful people taught me how to group ride. Um, I still have memories of like little tiny mistakes I made from the beginning and, and just my whole process and how I progressed and stuff and, and started to learn more and more. And by the time I was um, finished high school, uh, so one year after I bought my road bike, I moved to Trois-Rivières, Quebec, where I didn't have any friends or family and I didn't speak the language and I just like totally isolated myself. And sometimes I thought, what am I doing? But my bicycle was my way to communicate and integrate with like the community because every Tuesday there was a bike ride, a group ride that I would go on. And just by like pointing out cracks or like gravel or like pointing turns and stuff, I felt like I was communicating and I was communicating with everybody. And that was such an amazing feeling. And I think that just like amplified my love for cycling, you know? And yes, that's how I fell in love with it. And when I was in university, I used racing as a way to really push my limits because um, doing an undergrad in French in a second language in medical biology, which is like one of the harder degrees there was a real challenge too, to like be added on top of living like a student with like super restricted budget, like having a very, very small like circle um, of, of people that I could communicate with. Like my French was functional. I, I couldn't express my personality or anything, which was like lonely and frustrating sometimes. Uh, but I was like, I need to learn Lex, how to can do I something. Ask, can yeah. I ask you how, like, what took your family from English to French, like from Ontario to Quebec? It, it didn't take my family to Quebec. I went by myself. 
Oh, oh, okay. So for some reason, I yeah. thought your family left. So you decided to go to Trois-Rivières to go to school. Yeah. Oh, because of the biomed program there? At first, it was because when I was finished high school, I didn't know what I wanted to study in university. Uh, so I didn't want to uh -huh. commit to a full program and then like back out of it or push myself through it and regret it. So I was like, I'll go to Trois-Rivières. I'll learn French for one year at the uh, oh. French program for non-Francophone students. And that will be a productive use of my time. And then after that, okay. hopefully I'll know what I want to study. But I fell in love with Trois-Rivières. I was like, I'm not leaving this place. So I was like, I'll just do my undergrad here. That's yep. great. Because like, I can't think of very many people who would decide to do that at that age, like just to go and learn French, like yeah. ever. But that's amazing. Did So did, were you thinking like, I need to have French in my life at that point when you decide to I, go there? Um, I knew that I needed, I felt like I needed to have a degree in university, but I was so mm -hmm. sick of high school. Like I was just over it. And I knew that if I took a year off of school, I would not go back to studying mm -hmm. anything. So I was like, I need to stay in school. And I've right. also always had this little thing that's like kind of nagged at me in the back of my mind saying like, you better, you better do like different stuff and really push yourself um, compared to maybe like what the average path or trajectory that people take is if you want to accomplish things that are maybe like above average. So I was like, I got to do right. stuff that's different, you know? Wow. Which now that's weird, certainly different but, <laughs> because yeah. you know what? I always thought you as a Francophone for some reason. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. But I mean, like having a second language, as you've noticed, is quite beneficial. Yeah, especially in bike racing, because like uh, in 2016, I, I moved to Italy um, because I got a contract with an Italian team. And Italy, uh, well, Italian is a Latin-based language like French is. So I was able to pick it mm -hmm. up quite quickly. And it was pretty easy, actually, for me to understand the gist of conversations. And then after a while, I got to be able to uh, speak as, as well. I lost most of it now. The one thing that did help was as soon as I learned all the trashy words, like as soon as I learned how to talk like real trashy, then I got really accepted in the team. <laughs> but French, my base, my background in French really helped me for that. Everybody listening, you need to have French as a background. Yeah, <laughs> French and Spanish. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Latin -based dual one. language. <laughs> so, so then you, so what? What drew you to biomed and you got your degree in it? So I, I've always really been interested in physiology, um, how the body works. Uh, pharmacology was another thing that I was interested in and kinesiology. I really wanted to study kinesiology, but I, I didn't trust myself to be able to do something um, where I would make a living or create create a job or a career path for myself that I would be proud of with um, an education in kinesiology. And I also was afraid that I would get frustrated in a kinesiology program because I, because I assumed that it wouldn't go deep enough. Like, so why does the body adapt this way or react this way? Like, I want to go okay. like deeper on more like cellular, cellular level. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah that's kind of why a couple of reasons, I guess. Ah. But. 
That's interesting well, thought process behind that. Cause a lot of people are just like, Oh, we just go, go into kinesiology because, you know, it'll lead me to be a personal trainer or, you know, like a beginner to a, like a chiropractor or something and, and really good. So what did you end up uh, graduating with? And so we'll just wait for, okay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so back. what did you end up? I'm here. Okay, so what what did you end up uh, graduating with, and is that what you're working in now? So, um, to finish my degree, I had to do an internship, and I I really wanted to work for Christiane Ayet. Christiane Ayet is the director of the Doping Control Laboratory in Montreal. Oh, Canada okay. only has one. I think that there are three in North America, or three in like Canada, United States. I don't know if there's one in Mexico. Um, but I saw a conference that she gave in Montreal just before I started my degree. And actually, I think she actually impact, influenced my, my choice of degree, too, because I figured that if I did medical biology, I could study something really integrate that. Into, I'm not saying that uh, Christiane is passionate by sport, but she like integrates the science part with sports. Um, through what she does with the doping control laboratory and all the work that she's done with WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency. So I worked super hard to get an internship with her. Like I knocked on doors and then knocked on doors again and again and again and again until finally I got one. And um, that's how I finished my degree uh, in medical biology. And then I was offered the opportunity to either do my master's degree with them or continue work at the lab. I did a little calculation and I thought if I do my master's degree, I cannot work in bike shops anymore. So I cannot have bike shop discounts and the money that they're going to pay me to do a master's degree is not enough for me to be able to buy new chains when I need them, new tires when I need them or like change the tubes. So I was like, I can't ride my bike. I'm not, I'm not doing it. So I was just like, okay, I'll just work. So yeah, that's how that happened. I love your thought process because like, seriously, it is a mathematical equation as to like, yeah. should I do this? Or should I do that? If I can't ride my bike, well then I'm just going to work. And that's, and so are you still working for her? Or are you working? Where are you working? So I, I finished in 2011, just before I started racing pro in 2012. And the whole time I, I was racing pro on the world tour or on UCI teams, I like, that was my job. Like that was okay. my job. Yeah. So, you know what? I've talked to a couple of pros and I haven't really asked. I mean, like, can you have, can you effectively have a side hustle to make some extra money for yourself while riding pro? Mm, I mean, that's difficult. You can't, you can't have a job where you're like, going into the office or anything because like no no like a, like an online like a side hustle thing like where a you're either week, maybe like yeah. that some I feel like a lot of people um that I've kind of crossed paths with over the years that maybe haven't done um pro cycling they kind of equate their experience with recreational cycling to what they see the, the cyclists do like maybe through media or in races and stuff like that but there's a yeah. whole bunch of stuff that you don't see behind the scenes and it's definitely it's more than a full-time job every single choice that you make all day long ha- impacts uh what you're doing and you're you have to be fully subordinate too 
Like you receive a, an email with a plane ticket. Okay, you're going here. You're not going to uh, be home for like three months. You're going to go here, here, here. Like when you're on the road, like it's, you don't go sightseeing. <laughs> it's not like every, like it's very structured and, and pretty rigid and stuff. So, um, to, mm-hmm. so I actually did a lot of consulting work on the side while I was racing. Well, there, and, there, <laughs> and that's what I was talking I don't know about, was, like something like that. Yeah, but that's super rare. And I don't know if that's a really good idea um, that I that I did that because I know that maybe it did um, take away some focus sometimes or maybe some energy, I should say. Um, but like my peers on the, on the team, they didn't do it. But for me, I have this like anxiety thing of like, I, I got to survive. Like I have yeah. to, I have to make sure that like, what happens if some, what happens if I, I'm, I'm injured or something or, or what happens if for some reason I don't get a contract, but next year or what happens like when it comes, becomes time to retire, I need to have something to like that already has a little bit of momentum. And I think that it helps exercise my brain a little bit more too. I mean, some people have support from families, significant others and stuff like that, but I, I sometimes had to be a little bit crafty to just, well, to feel comfortable, I guess. Yeah, but no, but that's exactly what I'm, I'm personally thinking like, because, you know, I just, just watching the last couple of months where, you know, sponsorship is like literally pulled out from underneath your feet and your, your contract is one day. And then the next day you don't have a paycheck. Like, yeah. And I, you know, I know maybe it's not the norm that some girls like would do that, but I totally feel like, what if you do get injured? What if you don't have sponsorship? Like, how do you, how do you have a bring in money on the side? And that's I kind think, of what I was. Yeah. The, yeah. I think it's so essential that um, athletes at least at the very least always have their radar on, you know, that they're always thinking yes. about like connections or opportunities or the value that they uh-huh. can bring to the table apart from performance. Um, I think that's super, super important, not only for personal development, but you know happen when you're an athlete and I forever you know so yeah no I totally get because like um um I was oh gosh I'm so bad but like but I've talked to some girls who are literally doing their masters at the same time as Mm. you know um training for the olympics yeah, I you know guess the I mean? cool thing about and that is that you can do that part time if you want to, right? You can kind of do that. Yeah, up. yeah, but still. Yeah, that's. But yeah, I guess so because we just don't understand like the magnitude of what's expected from a pro, like a pro racer, like the lifestyle it or the training, um, you know that that uh, goes on on a weekly basis. So that's, that's kind of interesting because I've always wondered and you kind of gave me the, the answer that I was expecting and I would be like you, like uh, need to have something to fall back on just in case, keep some sort of momentum flowing as to, you know, what am I going to do and have a little extra cash or whatever. But okay, so how long did you spend in the pro circuit? Uh, so the last, my last contract, uh, with a pro UCI world tour team ended, uh, at the end of 2019. And my goal for 2020 was to continue to race for sure. Like not retire 
except for I didn't want to sign with another pro team and because I needed a little bit of freedom and my Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid was like lacking a little bit of a base. So like stability, um, like relationships, like there no more like friendships and uh, ties with family and everything, community, like it was no longer there because like the whole uh, racing for me, it was just so, so like egocentric and stuff. Plus I was on the road all the time. So I think I was like maybe home two months out of the year and those two months were not consecutive. Like it was exploded throughout the calendar kind of thing. So after like a certain point, I was just, I started to get exhausted um, emotionally, I think. And um, fortunately, like I did not lose any passion for cycling, for training, for racing. Um, But when COVID hit, my plans to race a lot of gravel, to race um, selected road events, uh, especially like guest riding at UCI events and hopefully qualifying for Worlds again to represent Canada at World Championships. Well, it all went out the window uh, because all the races got canceled. Um, Companies uh, were so uncertain about what the pandemic was going to bring to them. They weren't sure if people were still going to continue to purchase bicycles and accessories and stuff that we know the answer. Like, yeah, seriously, don't have anything first, left. Sorry, still in yeah. a pit. <laughs> but so, yeah. yeah, so so did that kind of like relieve you? Of you're like, oh, now I don't have to. I don't have the pressure. I can kind of do what I want, kind of thing. Like, how did you react to it? Because a lot of people react different that I've spoken At to. First, well, for when the pandemic hit. Uh, I was like, I was just torn to shreds because I was just, I was already making this huge, huge change in my life and doing a, taking a huge risk um, by racing more independently and then working like one-on-one with, uh, with different companies and stuff. Um, And then the pandemic hit and it just ripped all my plans to shreds. So I was very like anxious and worried, but then I had this light bulb moment. I was just like, like when was anything ever certain anyways like I could have like broken my collarbone at any time or I could like anything could have happened the world could have exploded before even because there was a plan like just because there was a plan doesn't mean that like it was all gonna go as I wanted it to so I was just like well it's kind of like the same situation I was in before after all plus Uh on the bright side here I am in this year where I'm choosing to do something like a lot differently than I've ever done it before but everybody else is having their boat rock too at the same time so like we're all in the same situation so I was like yeah the planets have aligned for me in a certain way <laughs> um so I mean there are plenty of di- plenty of difficulties um that that the whole pandemic has brought and like I certainly like feel super bad for the people who have like went through it in the most difficult ways you know like have lost a loved one or who, ha- who have or and are still suffering from the the symptoms and the, the effects of the the virus and, you know, a lot of people, like, in their, they lost their, their jobs, uh, careers that they had built up, like, businesses and stuff. That's, that's horrible. But, um, yeah, that, that's what I explained just, just a couple seconds ago. That's how I, I experienced it, like, personally, I guess. Yep. You, like you said, you came out of it. You're like, yeah, at a light bulb moment, everybody's uh, experiencing the same thing as me. And, and then you're like, what did you do with that? Yeah, there's always a bright side to every single difficult situation, every single challenge. I love it. I think, yeah, being a bike racer, like, forced me to learn that. And 
<laughs> maybe some people find it annoying when I'm always like, yeah, but at least, or like I'm thinking of the bright side, but it's for me, it's honestly just like a reflex now. And it's like, a, I think you have to a little bit for sure. Yeah. It's like, what can, what good can come out of this? Right. Like, cause I've talked to some girls where their whole identity was wrapped around the competition and the race. And then it was just like all gone. Like I'm not, I don't have a purpose right now. And like, you know, especially the ones that were training last year for Olympics. And that's just like, yeah. Hmm. But a lot of them are like, yeah, well, this gives me, I didn't quite feel prepared, but now I have a whole year to prepare myself and I'm feeling super good about that. And you're just like, so it kind of got lots of different reactions from, from, uh, from um, uh, some of the female cyclists that I interviewed, which is kind of interesting to see like where their head was at. But I'm glad that you uh, found other things to do because it seems like you're pretty industrial and entrepreneurial. (laughs) If I do say so, like. (laughs) I just love to ride my bike and I love to share the story of, of like my passion for riding and the different adventures that that I have and can have and stuff like that and so I, I'm just that's that's why I became a, a professional cyclist it was kind of by accident I was just looking for ways to kind of oh maybe I, I can like ride here or like how, how do I get to have this opportunity I just want to I just want to ride so I yeah I think I'm always going to be like that <laughs> I think that's awesome now you said you started at 24 so how long were you on the circuit like how long did you race pro I'm just trying to find out how old you are, really. 2019. Oh, I'm 34. I turned 34 this year. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Yay. So I made it this far, you, yeah. So 10 years then, roughly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nine years. Yeah. So how did you feel? Um, how did you feel being... I'm just going to wait. Sylvie, we're cutting out. Okay, I know. I'm okay, back. so how, I was just Sorry. waiting for you to come back. So, how did you feel? Um, now, did you ever feel weird? Because, like, at 24, some girls like you're kind of old to be getting on the circuit now. And, but I assuming you never felt that way because I can't see you being like concerned about that at all. You're just like, I just want to race my bike and I want to race it hard and I want to race it in Europe and. Um, when a lot of girls are kind of looking at like, you know, 27, 28 kind of retiring kind of deal. How did that? Yeah. You just like, I mean, when I started, I did not necessarily feel old, like, because my peers, yeah. a lot of the, my peers on the team were older than me. Um, but the one thing that I did feel was I really felt like I got like gypped because I was just like, all these girls <laughs> got to start so so much younger than me and I had to like fight just to have a bicycle and like to figure out ways to to race and stuff for so long so I feel I I really felt like everybody else had like 18 steps up on me and here I was like scrambling but still like finally I like I I was like living I I wouldn't even say a dream because like I never even dared to dream to be a professional athlete I never thought that was even a possibility um and I actually felt a little bit bitter about that. Um, and I was like, what if, what if I would have had the opportunity to, to race when I was younger? What if I would have had like the support from my parents to do like organized sports and stuff and 
you know, what if, what if? But after some time had passed and after a few years of racing, I realized, hmm, wait a minute, I think that I actually am a little bit more fortunate because I know that I have a degree to fall back on. I know that I have concrete work experience to fall back on when I'm done cycling. And this gives me some peace of mind to be able to really focus on racing and to commit to this opportunity that kind of presented itself to me by miracle which is like those professional racing contracts um and through all of like the little struggles that I had in terms of like figuring out ways to survive because the first year the like the salary was pretty like little like really really little so I had to be super crafty to survive like to put breakfast on my table and stuff like that you know to pay my rent but I can see you being crafty Oh, I was crafty. Like I had to sell all my appliances the first year. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like crazy. (laughs) But, but I made it happen. And like that first year of racing, I actually put more money into savings than I did like when I was working and, but just figuring out ways to survive. Like when you're pushed, when you're hungry, like you actually can make a lot more progress and gains, I think, than when everything is just like handed to you on a silver platter. Yeah. So then I I realized, okay, I got to stop being like so bitter and stuff because it's a waste of energy. It's negative. It's like, I am pretty, I'm super fortunate. Like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm Canadian. Like like, that in itself is just like a miracle. Right. And I have two legs and I'm super healthy. So yeah. (laughs) And you're like, it wasn't so bad. Yeah. (laughs) You're a park, park Quebecer. (laughs) Yeah. I love starting later. Oh my God. Well, I love that you said that because I was just waiting, you know, because education is so important, even if you didn't start like on the race circuit at like 18 or 17 and, you know, spend all your time racing, you were able to, you know, like you said, fall back on and look at you now, like seriously. Okay, let's talk about now. All right, you were going to show us something or you're show me something pretty cool. Like, okay. So if you're watching this YouTube, you're going to see her headphones. They kind of look like she came out of a helicopter, but, <laughs> but they're Senna uh, headphones yep. and, and uh, Lex is totally into mount, uh, mountain biking, dur- um, motorcycling, which I love. Yep. And that's on my bucket list. I came close twice to getting my motorcycle license. Didn't have the cash. Anyways. But uh, it's it's there now. I've got kids, and well, it'll be there later on. Um, but she's gonna show us this helmet, this bicycle helmet that has an integrated intercom, or like, yeah. yeah. Well, here, how about I show you? Yes, this, show so us. On, okay, we all have to check my, these out. This is one of my motorcycle helmets, and this is how I discovered. Um, Okay. So this right here on the side is like the outside control for a communication device that's in the helmet uh, and it allows okay. you to speak with other people on the road or listen to music or have gps directions or take phone calls and stuff so that's that's how i knew about Senate. and this is where this company has their their roots in the motorcycling industry and when i contacted them um when we first started talking they told me hey lex we have this new product like for cyclists and i was like what this is cool like i love motorcycles and bikes and um this is it this is a bike helmet with the same technology that they have uh for motorcycles 
which is super cool because like one of the things that is really important is noise cancellation on right. um, these types of systems because at a, on a motorcycle, you're, like, you're going super fast. So you can just imagine the noise that all that wind creates. Yeah. So they're able to cancel that wind noise and the same type of technology is in these helmets. So right here at the front, you can see that there is a microphone yeah. that sits mm -hmm. like it, just above like your mouth pretty much. Um, and then above the ears, there are speakers here. And then there are three oh, buttons so cool. on the side. Yeah. Okay. So you can listen to music through this. You can listen to your GPS directions. You can take phone calls. People won't even know you're on the bike. So if you want to play hooky. You're just <laughs> like work. talking to yourself. <laughs> so, but, but the okay, thing so that I love the most though, like if, if you're cycling with other people, right, you have to single up on the road. You can continue your conversation for mountain biking, like mountain biking. Even if you're riding with other people, if you're in single tracks, you can't really chit chat. Right. But with this, yeah. like with these helmets, you can still speak with other people. So they like connect. To oh my each gosh. Other. How many do you have? You got like three of well, them. I got to have some to share with friends. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that was one of the things like, like they all have to have these helmets. Okay. So yeah. everybody picture these helmets. If you're looking at your helmet, there's a little microphone right above your forehead. So right in the middle of your forehead. And so there's a little microphone there and then the speakers, sorry, that's the speaker. And the right microphones the are right above your ears. So kind of placed at the bottom of the helmet over your ear. And, like that, and then the at the straps. back. Yeah. So right between the straps. And then at the back, there's a control where you can volume on off. Can you talk to me with that on or does I it could, wouldn't yeah. trans? Okay. So we're going to yeah, okay, so take a second. Turn it on She's it. going to sync it with her Bluetooth. So and now it's searching for my phone. So I'm gonna disconnect this. Okay, I'm gonna put our helmet on. We're gonna continue the conversation. <laughs> okay, okay. So here's the question: How much does one of these helmets cost? <laughs> That's the crazy thing. Like they're super affordable. Um, the only thing is, is that Senna doesn't ship to um, Canada right now because of it's not their fault. It's some type of like import like problems that Canada created I think so you have to buy them from their Amazon store so this one the R1 costs I think about 150 oh wait can you hear Kids me are going back to school in Quebec <laughs> so exciting yeah okay okay so you can only get it on Amazon yes yeah, so, uh, unless you live in the United States and it costs about 150 bucks, which is crazy because it's a super good helmet. Plus it has all this technology integrated into it. So, I mean, that I don't even know how they're making money on these compared to like other helmets on the market because it's like comparable. The helmet itself is comparable to any other like POC or Giro or, or you know, all the other helmets that cost a lot wow. more money. So. Yeah, because I'm sponsored crazy. by Brico. That's cool. And I'm just oh, like- Brico. Do you have the old school glasses? No, I don't have any glasses yet. I'm like, I get, I've got clothes, but, and I got a helmet. I'm working on shoes and, uh, well, cause do you know Leo in, uh, in, uh, Montreal? You know, Logica Sport in Montreal? Yep. Yeah. So Leo, so I work with him with our cycling club, Cycle Fit Chicks for all of our kits. And um, 
yeah so he asked me to be an ambassador for them that's cool. cool yeah so but all right so we got these helmets i am going to personally check it out because i i don't necessarily listen to music but sometimes i do listen to podcasts i don't listen to music but yeah, and for I long rides, ever... I love podcasts too, and these the helmets are amazing for that because you don't have to have like an earbud in, so you yeah. can still hear like ambient sound, so it's not dangerous, you know. Plus, it's yeah, legal. totally. That's what I love, and um, and you know, and I ride by myself too quite a bit, um, just to to ride. But uh, that was, and I'm looking for it, even though I'm sorry, I won't play. <laughs> even though I got my Brico helmet, I'm like. It's not orange, Leo. I need an orange helmet to go with my. <laughs> so I'm so picky. All right, so Lex, let's talk about your current cycling, and I want to talk about the race across America. Like, yeah, what made you decide to do that, and how are you training for it? Because this is like an epic race. Tell me about yeah. it. So the race across America is can be done solo it can be done with two people it can be done in a, a team of four people or eight people uh to do it uh solo or in a group of two people you have to do like qualifying events because they don't just let anybody in because like right. it's legit across america we start in oceanside like socal like right at the very like southern part of california near san diego and race all the way up across to the northeast of uh, united states uh, and we finish in annapolis maryland so like, I mean, that's pretty long. People that do it solo yeah. are like legit wrecked sometimes for months. And um, like, we're solo? doing this. No way. <laughs> no, no. That's what I, thought um, you were... I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say no way like that because like maybe someday I'll do it, but like, no, that this year, no, like I'm not even interested. Part of the reason that I'm so excited about Race Across America is because I'm doing it with this team of like, amazing people like amazing so i'm doing the eight person one. Oh, so, okay yeah and we're gonna we're aiming to finish it in about six days so like imagine that like the way it works is it's a relay so one person on the team is always yeah. on the road at a time and we're looking mm -hmm. at doing um 20 minute <laughs> segments each like 20 so this is a strategy there are eight of us we're each splitting into we're splitting into like four groups of two so one pair will be on for three hours, I think. And then another pair will be on for three hours. Another pair will be on for three hours. Another pair will be on for three hours. Um, and when we're on, we're just going to alternate 20 minute efforts with our partners for, for three hours. And apparently this is the way to like be the most efficient and race like as fast as possible. And that okay. is also going to allow the racers to uh, stop at different cities. I think we have 20, what, 21 or 22 different stops um and that number is like there's a significance to that number um so i shouldn't know if it's 21 or 22 but we're gonna stop and speak with different people across the country so i'm on the, a team called one mile and the purpose of one mile is to raise awareness and support to um for veterans and to um Ooh. make sure like to, to help talk about suicide veteran suicide to reduce the stigma and prevent it as well. And One Mile works together with professional athletes, with business people, and with people um, mil people from the military uh, to kind of build each other up and to inspire each other. And for me, there couldn't have been like a more wonderful time uh, to 
be a part of something like this um, in a selfish way and in a like way that feels really rewarding too to to be able to give and to share and contribute as well. And we did have one training camp uh, at the beginning of this year where a part of the team members were there. So there are eight riders on the team, but there's like about 20 staff. We're all, but we're all team members. So there are eight riders and 20 like support crew, but every person is a teammate, which is just kind of cool because like in pro cycling, we always call the staff just staff member. Um, and on the team, we have people who like, we have Navy SEALs. I didn't know what a Navy SEAL was before this training camp, but holy smokes, now I'm getting like a bit of a better idea. Like people are incredible. We have um, like a former NFL player. We have a, a four-time Olympic medalist, uh, Steve Lewis. He won three gold medals, actually. Um, we have like a former pro triathlete. We have uh, a doctor, like lots of people who have done and who do really amazing things. And I have never felt the type of chemistry that I felt at this training camp. I was just like, ah, these are my okay, people. How did you I was get, like, how did you get invited to this? Like, how did you, how did you connect with all these guys? Did somebody say, Hey, I kind of know this girl Lex and she'd be really great for the team. Um, how did you get in that? <laughs> but uh, the way that the music came about was, um, I knew about the team because they're using Senna helmets because for the, all these transitions that, that the team will be making uh, between riders throughout the race, it's actually an opportunity to either save or lose a lot of time. So to be able to communicate between riders when you're out on the road, that's going to give us a huge advantage. So Senna told me about this team and, and when I started speaking with them, because I wanted to share with them how I use the helmets, how they change my training, how they change my enjoyment of cycling too. Um, I told them, I told them how much I thought their, their cause in the race was, was pretty cool. And eventually um, I got a call back saying, you know what, one of our riders is moving to Germany. We need somebody like, do you want to be on the team? I was like, yeah, like, let's do this. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Like, I don't know any of you guys. And like, I've heard of the race of America. I've dreamed of it before, but like never made anything close to a goal. So I don't know the details. And anyways, that's how the opportunity came up. I, I'm telling you, it's a miracle. Wow. That is so cool because I don't, I could see myself doing something like that. People just, Hey, I heard about you. Do you like it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. What's it about? <laughs> What's it about? Let's, but so have you heard of, so this is really cool. So it's one mile and have you heard of my friend, Dan, Daniel heard Dan heard. No, but he, me, I should have because he's a military guy and he rode across the America or the U S for a suicide prevention military oh. guy. He is on a podcast, heart of a heart of a veteran or uh, I'll connect you guys, but it seems like very like on the same lines of the same thing. Cause it's suicide prevention um veterans um for veterans you know and like um, we gotta we gotta talk yeah he's a super cool guy he uh he was like my uh maybe he was in the first 10 episodes of um interviews of my uh podcast um, oh cool so yeah you should go look him up and um yeah so it's uh one pedal at a time and uh so that's another guy but but yeah, he's, uh, 
he took two years. He went straight across. He was doing like all the states. And then he had an accident in uh, Arizona, which put him out for that happened in November. And he's just getting on his bike like now. All right. Because when I saw you on that poster, I was like, maybe she's doing it solo. And this is like the group that's doing it. So but how many people are doing this event? Like teams, singles, solos, like or solos or teams or I think I heard like, well, there's definitely over a thousand, but I think it's closer to 2000 people total, but that includes all the support crew. Like it takes a right. lot of support crew, a lot of people, like we have a lot of vehicles and stuff. So people like that are supporting us are pretty much like more important than like the riders, you know, no, oh, we're yeah. all equally important. I think we're equally important for sure. And like one person cannot do their job without the other person. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine you have a caravan like for bikes, for sleeping, for food, like. Yeah, and then there's so many rules to race across America. Has so many rules and rightfully so. Like, I mean, it's a huge race. Like you're racing under conditions where you could be like totally exhausted. You're racing out on like public open roads too, like 24 seven. So you can be like going through like a mountain pass in the pouring rain or even in snow in the middle of the night. And you can be like totally exhausted. I heard of this one guy, he was doing it solo and he taped a broom to the back of his, like he couldn't hold his neck up anymore. So he taped a broom to the back of his back and to his head to hold his neck up. Like imagine being exhausted to that point. So. Oh my God. That's when you like stop and have a nap on the side of the road. Like, gosh. Okay. So when does that start? Cause I, when does that start? Cause I guess you have to wait to be able to get over to the States. June 16th, <laughs> I think is a, is a start date. And right now I'm waiting for that work visa and I cannot travel across the border. If um, the, the visa is, like application is still being analyzed. So I'm kind of wondering like what's going to happen because we're cutting it a little bit short, but um, yeah. Whoa. So are you going, going to go over there to work or is this your work, your visa is for this as considered to be work? A, so we're just... Yeah. I don't need a visa to race, race across America. I'm just like a Canadian going to do like a thing in, in the States, like a bike race in the States. But I, the work visa is for another project that I'm a show on Prem TV, which is called The Prem Show. The Prem Show is airing every single Wednesday, and it has been since the beginning of March. Um, and then we have different segments, like standalone segments that come out on the platform, like different other, like other days of the week. But uh, the show that I'm hosting with Phil Guyman um, is, yeah, the gig that I'm moving to Los Angeles for. All right, let's talk about Prem TV, because like. I'm just chatting up a storm here. Um, Sorry about that. I just look. Uh, my, <laughs> my phone died. Uh, yeah, I was oh, plugged in, but it's died. Died. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. I was just looking up my friend, uh, Dan Hurd, because his website is Ride With Dan USA. So, um, and I'm going to connect you guys. Um, but so Thanks. let's finish up with Prem TV and how you even how you got into that, like how that fell into your lap, because that's kind of a cool um, thing to be doing is to get on TV and talk about cycling. Love it. 
Yes. Okay. Let me move my phone here. Okay. How's this? Can I still talk like this? I'll try to look in the camera. Yeah, camera. look perfect. Okay. I'll let you restart the conversation. Sorry for messing it up. Oh, hey, no, I was just uh, looking up Dan because I wanted to connect you guys, but I want to finish up with how you got into starting or being uh, part of Preem TV because that's a, a really cool gig to fall into. Like, was it a creation of yours? Yeah. Or and yeah, tell me about uh, that. So, so um, there's Preem TV and then there's the Preem show. Preem TV is the entire like channel um, and you can check that out at gopreem.com. And then okay. the Preem show is what I'm co-hosting and I'm co-hosting that with Phil Guyman. That's the weekly show that comes out. Um, and it's a longer show that lasts about 20 minutes, I guess. And then the segments that come out on Preem TV are maybe like three to 10 minutes approximately, I'd say. Um, and co-hosting with Phil is super fun. So far we've done it just virtually. Um, and also we've been taking turns like alternating hosting on our own from me from Montreal or Quebec and him from California uh, until I get that visa and I'm able to like legally co-host with him in the United States. So we just wanna do stuff like legit and clean and stuff just to, well, because it's legit. Um, and it's fun. yeah, it's another one of those things that happened by miracle, you know? Uh, I think they were just, they were looking, Preem was looking for somebody to co-host with Phil who mm -hmm. loves cycling, who has a background in cycling, who loves sharing stories and adventures and loves connecting with other people who, who are really passionate about the sport too. And I was just fortunate enough to have the opportunity to, to say like, Hey, maybe, maybe we can, maybe I would be a good fit too. And so we, I, I spoke <laughs> hey, with them. Hey, what about me? <laughs> But that's like you said, opening up doors and knocking on doors like you did before. It's uh, it gets you opportunities. Um, then I had my interviews and stuff, and and then yeah, we decided to to move forward. But like I said, it's a bit, it's a huge like, it's a bit of a risk for me in a sense because like I'm really changing a lot in my life, like moving to California, but. Like I said, I really like taking chances, taking risks. And this is exactly like what I love, what I'm passionate about cycling. So, and it's an opportunity that I get to, to enjoy cycling with a lot of other really cool people. So are you going to drive across the United States or are you going to fly? Are you uh, going to bring I'm, your car? I got rid of my car. <laughs> Sylvia, I got oh. rid of so much stuff. Uh, the junkyard came and picked it up and paid me 450 bucks for it. I still have my motorcycle. I don't know if I'm going to sell it or ship it or what. It's for sure when I get there, I'm still having a motorcycle. Like I need to, like need to, like first world need to. <laughs> first world need to. Well, you need to get around. I mean, you could get a moped maybe, maybe a Vespa. That would be kind of. Yeah. Or cycle. <laughs> bike, any kind of bike, motorcycle, any anything. Kind of well, you can get like a nice cruiser. Are you going to be along the river or, or along the uh, ocean? It's Isn't it funny that no matter where we live, like we always think of the body of water as a different thing. Like, like somebody will come to Montreal and like think, call like the St. Lawrence River, the ocean or like the lake or something. Like I grew up by a lake. So for me, like the, it was like, oh, or down by the bay, you know, like that in the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bay of San Francisco, you can be close there. But oh my gosh, so um, this has been amazing. And we will be watching Lex from afar on 
all the things that she's been doing. So before you freeze again, Sorry. let's <laughs> No, but this has been amazing. So we got a lot of things to watch. Okay. So in June, hopefully she'll be in the United States. She'll be gearing up to start the race across America. Yep. So we'll all be shouting out, you know, uh, giving her good kudos from here. I'm sure we'll see every lots of things on social media and make sure we'll share all those. And this is also great because her episode is probably going to be coming out in June. So it'll be coincide with that. Um, and then of course, watching her on Prem TV, which I'm excited because I never even knew that existed. I was just searching around like, hey. Well, it's brand new. It's brand new. So <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> And don't forget, I want to be a, uh, a, a, a like, I want to be on there one of these days. <laughs> when you're finished with all your other, like, lineups, just add me to the end. <laughs> We're keeping you in mind, Sylvie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. This is so amazing just chatting with you and getting to know you better. Um, and please give us your takeaway, your biggest takeaway from this episode. Um, we'd love to hear it. And also Lex and I would love a five-star plus a great review on the episode, right, Lex? Five stars sure. all the way. And thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe and put on your notifications so you don't miss this episode and others that are going to follow and have yourself an amazing day. Thanks for coming out. It's been exceptional. Peace out home dogs. <laughs> Woo! Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the secrets from the saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.